I glossed over the three years, but it was a, absolutely a, a huge struggle. I mean, I, there was definitely times in there where I thought about quitting. Excellence is about standing, and excellence is a requirement in the dream culture. Welcome to Unfiltered Athletes. I'm your host, Leo. In this podcast, we go behind the scenes with world-class athletes to reveal the untold stories of their journeys. From grueling training sessions to mental strategies to achieve greatness, get ready for a raw, unfiltered look at the world of sports. In this episode, I talk with an incredibly resilient athlete, James Piccoli. James is a pro cyclist who started competing late, around 20, when he wanted to test the object he was building for school projects while studying mechanical engineering at Concordia University in Montreal. And even then, once he became a pro, it took him more than four years to find what he considered to be success, to get a decent pro cyclist contract. James is the perfect example of athlete resilience, passion and grit to make his way through the ups and downs of his journey. And the obstacles on the road started at a very young age. I used to have a mountain bike, taught myself kind of how to ride on uh, on my parents' front lawn um, so that like if I fell over, you know, I could fall into some grass instead of on the, on the street. And so I kind of remember having to, to figure out how to balance. And of course, on a lawn, you can't go very far. So I would, you know, try to try to get a few pedal strokes, try and see how long I could, I could stay up. And, uh, and I taught myself to ride that way. And then, then as a kid, I used to ride around in parks and, And I used to remember there's this park that was close to where my parents, um, where I grew up, called Dakin Park, and it had a uh, it was a big green park, and it had kind of like not even a bike path, not even just like a walking path that was kind of paved, and um, there was this tree that had grown, and the roots kind of broke the surface of the yeah. the concrete, and it made almost like a ramp, like a jump, and so I would see. I would just go around and around and try and see how fast I could go over the jump every time. And I would just go faster and faster and try and get, you know, see if I could get air or jump the, jump the whole thing completely. And uh, that was my first, like, you know, kind of cycling memory, just kind of like messing around on my bike, having fun. Okay, so you were more of a BMX guy when you started? I guess, uh, yeah. If, for lack of a better term, I was just kind of <laughs> just trying to jump stuff and, and, and not fall over and ride in the grass and over trees. And, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, but um, I think cycling wasn't either a passion nor like a big objective for you at the beginning. Were you practicing other sport as well? I played uh, hockey, obviously, like a good Canadian boy for <laughs> most of my uh, most of my early life and, and early teens. I played golf. I played soccer. I played uh, I played all the sports. Um, I was never like super talented right away in any of them. Um, but I always had fun. I was always into sports. Um, I really started road cycling with my dad because he was, uh, he was a road, he is a road cyclist and we would go, uh, just up here to Camino hood and, and ride, uh, together. And I could, I want to see if I keep up with him, you know, and when I was a kid, he would, he would drop me and, and then we would come and have a, a coffee in little Italy, because uh, we're, we're Italian. So, um, that was our kind of like tradition that was that was road cycling for me it wasn't really you know competitive at the start it was just kind of 
fun to to just head out with my dad and and ride around Montreal. Very nice. Uh, so you mentioned that the, the Camillian Oud uh, ride. So the the climb in Montreal, the, quite the famous climb. here. The only climb. The yes. climb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's the one in Polytechnique, which is kind of a compliment, but, but yes. much smaller. Uh, small side note: I've known your name from twenty since 2015 or 2016 when. I was just living around the, the climb and your name was at the top of the list. Number one of the uh, <laughs> uh, best time ever. Are you still uh, the best time I, ever? I think the... so. I haven't checked it recently, but uh, normally Strava sends you an email if you, uh, if you lose and, and uh, I haven't seen any, but uh, so I think I, I think uh, I'm still the top. Okay. Top. Okay. How many times do you think you climbed that? Oh, uh... <laughs> I, I have no idea. I mean, I was even writing it before strava so even whatever strava says it's probably double or i have i have no idea i lost count a long time ago <laughs> interesting and um so yeah cycling was just for fun uh, with your dad and and all that when when did you kind of realize that it could be more than just fun with that and climbing here in montreal and that you could make it to a you know pros oh it's a well, it's a long story it's a, kind of an interesting story i uh i raced briefly when i was uh when I was kind of 12 and 13, okay. because after riding around with my dad, I figured, oh, like, let me try racing. You know, I saw racing on TV, saw the Tour de France on TV. Um, but I was really bad. I was terrible. I was like always last place in the, in the group and I would get caught up in crashes and I would just like finish last all the time and it just wasn't fun. You know, so I did like, I did a year or two of racing and, and training with like a local team. And I'm like, you know what? Not for me. Yeah. How old were you at the time? I was probably between 12 and 14. Okay, so right. youth categories, like was, pretty young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was my uh, brief first racing career. Okay. And then, and then, like I said, I just like wasn't having fun. You know, it's not fun to finish last all the time. And, and I was crashing. And, and so I'm like, yeah, I'll just, I'll stay on my bike for fun, but I don't need to race, you know. And so I, yeah. I, I took my first retirement at 14 years old. <laughs> And I started playing other sports and doing other things. Um, but I always stayed on my bike. I um, I still trained, rode around with my dad. I st we still did long rides, but it was never, the goal was never racing. It was just, just for fun. And so, yeah, what, was there a moment when you were back, back in there, back in, in the game? Um, you probably kept, kept practicing or, or maybe you no, know, maybe you were around some of the people that made it to pros, and it kind of gave you ideas. So I was. Uh, so fast forward to university. So um, I studied mechanical engineering at Concordia, and I was uh, on the the whole time in between. I was just like I said, just riding for fun and yep. just kind of uh, just riding with my dad or just training, and um, then I had a. A hydrodynamics course like aerodynamics and it kind of like re-peaked my interest in cycling and i said like i wonder if i can like do time trials you know because time trials is like essentially the study of aerodynamics and i i told myself maybe i can like make myself some parts make myself a helmet or something get myself a time trial frame and i can i can just like play around see how fast i can go um and so i entered a couple of like local time trials And I played around with equipment and changed my shoes and changed shoe covers, skin suit, whatever. And, uh, and then I'm like, oh, well, I guess I, you know, I should probably train if I want to go faster too, you know? So, and then I started, started kind of like training more like with the goal of going fast, you know, instead of just riding around. Back for the school project at the beginning, just, right? Just okay. for like fun, <laughs> just for like a school, just like for an engineering 
like project yeah. just like to see how fast i could go yeah. and uh and then i got kind of like bit and then i was like okay like you know maybe i could train some more and see if i can go faster and and then all of a sudden i was going relatively fast for in time trials for like you know someone who up until that point had not really raced um and and then from there i just kind of snowballed Okay, so yeah. what is snowballing? Do so <laughs> you, snowball? you end up, I guess, getting a, a an A or or a ninety percent at your uh, school project, and then you realize that you can make more. <laughs> so, uh, do I get an A? I, I, it actually at that point, so it this coincided with a with a period in my life. I still love engine, engineering, and I love yeah, making we'll stuff. I have yeah. a few questions about that. Yeah. I love making stuff, but I I was actually really frustrated in, in university because. Uh, you know, I went into this mechanical engineering program and I want to make stuff and I, I've, I've always made stuff. And then, you know, like for two, three years, you're just doing like differential equations and, yeah. and math problems. And, and, and like, I, I got kind of annoyed at that, you know, like I want to, I want to do something practical. Um, and so as this was all happening, I was kind of like, you know, like this is, this is not really fun anymore either. Um, but like, what am I going to do? Um, and, And I was getting kind of results in in cycling, and I'm like, well, what if I tried to to be a pro cyclist? Literally, that was my thinking. It was not okay. very, it wasn't more sophisticated than that. Uh, and so I took a semester off. I convinced my parents that this was a a, a good plan uh, to quit school to be a cyclist. Uh, took a mes semester off, went to go train, and uh, that year got some some promising results in in racing. And at the end of that year, like I kind of had a path to to pro cycling. It was still very bumpy after that, but yeah. then that's when I kind of really set myself the goal of uh, I want to be a professional cyclist. Okay, and so is is it a tough choice? Probably not for you, but you you asked your your parents in a way to take uh, some time off uh, school. You know, mechanical engineering. You know, you can have a pretty easy. Uh, you know predicted career and make a lot mm -hmm. of money versus yeah. going to cycling where i guess only the top five or top ten percent in the world make a lot of money mm. the other ones you know it's it's probably yeah. uh, average salary or you know slightly more slightly less mm. uh, for you has it ever been uh, a consideration in your decisions or you just had so much fun uh, cycling that you know you, you figured that that would be uh, the way to go i kind of had so much fun cycling and also from the other side was just you know frustrated at You know, I, like I said, I, I enjoyed engineering and I, and I liked it, but I, I was worried that, you know, whatever job I would have in engineering would just be this, would just be differential equations and math problems yeah. and calculus. And I'm like, well, what if, you know, I like this, but what if this is my life? You know, like, uh, this is going to be shit, you know? Yeah, <laughs> can, I, yeah. well, can I swear on this podcast? <laughs> you can bleep them out. No, no, no. I think it's it's fine. The worst shit uh, yeah. has come up a few times here, <laughs> yeah. so it's it's all good. Yeah. So so yeah, it was it was kind of it came from both ways that I that I I told myself, listen, I would rather try and take a risk and 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 really pursue something that I'm passionate about versus going the like you said, the kind of tried and true pathway. You know, like I knew if I just graduated with With a degree and were to work as an engineer, I would make a good living and I would have a good life, you know, but I wanted to kind of, you know, take a risk and see if I could carve my own path out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's extremely interesting because that's what I see a lot here in the podcast. It's mostly what, I mean, mostly 100% is what drive professional, you know, 
um, athletes and and elite athlete is passion. It's purely passion. There's, There's there no can't be a goal yeah. like a financial goal to do something no. um, unless you're number one in whatever sport. The rest is just is pure passion uh, yeah. that that kind of you know drives you in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so you uh, see you have a way into pro uh, pro cycling. What's your first contract in a sense, or or when can you start you know uh, living off um, cycling? <sighs> So the, it's it's a sliding scale. So what a lot of people don't know about cycling is that you have the world tour where they have guaranteed contracts, a minimum yeah. salary, um, kind of structure from the UCI and above. Just like a, a I don't want to call it a structured professional sport because it yeah. isn't, but there's there's stuff in place. Um, and then you have pro continental where there's that to a lesser degree, but there's still some structure and some kind of rules. And then you have below that where it's just the Wild West. So some riders make money, some don't. Some live off of prize money. Some have grants. Some have other stuff. But it's there's even there, it, there's there's very little structure. So my first, in quotations, professional contract, I signed with an Italian team for a thousand euro a year. Okay, so right, just, so uh, zero. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, you say it's like the symbolic euro. In yeah, sense. exactly. Okay. Um, And I, it was, that was my opportunity to race in Europe and, uh, I kind of went for it. Um, what, what year was that? That was 2014. 14, okay. So that was the first year after I'd taken the semester off to kind of yeah. really de- dedicate myself to cycling. I had this offer in quotations to, to go and race <laughs> in Italy and do some big races and really gain some experience and, and hopefully, you know, jump up from there. Um, but that had its own, There's a, even there's tons of stories about that year anyway. But, right, g- yeah. g- give a few. Give a few. <laughs> it was it was. Uh, I, I don't know how much you're. From, I listen. I'm Italian, right? And I <laughs> and it, I love Italians in some sense, but they're also just like a wonderful disaster. Like the whole country <laughs> is just, and Italians themselves are just a disaster. And that year was a disaster in terms of logistics, in terms of s- stuff that went wrong, in terms of you know how the team was run. Every that team no longer exists, by the way. Um, but, um, it was like a big, like learning experience. Like, wow, like this is, you know, I worked hard for this year or two. Like I kind of made it to here and even here, like I didn't really make it, you know, like there's, this is, you know, like, like I said, it's the wild west. Yeah. What type of, uh, races you have, were they, um, it's like third division? In, in they were sense? like third and second division races. So, so we would still do some races against some good riders. Um, in europe and that's where like obviously most of cycling is so that's where you want to really yeah. learn and, and get your results um but the learning curve was super you know like it was hard at the beginning i was living in a a tiny apartment in Lucca in tuscany um like struggling in every sense you know in the races and in training just like struggling to adjust adjust to the life in europe and just like it was just a big year of of adjustment and And kind of reality check, like okay, you you signed a professional contract in quotations, but you know you're <laughs> far from there. You, know, you still got a while to go. Yeah, so so I talked to uh, Antoine Duchesne a bit earlier in the mm-hmm. podcast, and he mentioned that even with uh, the different team he, he was with, even in the past couple of years, even though it's called professional cycling, it's in the in the logistics exactly. of it, it's pretty. It's just you know, meet me here for the start of the race. 
than race than whatever you know there there at least you know a few years ago there wasn't so much of a a follow up and you know like nutritionist and all the yeah. the the life that goes around cycling so yeah is that how you felt like you were kind of left alone and you just had to come here race and you know, get the best e result exactly yeah and and uh i i'd say that really i mean i can't speak to the world tour 10 years ago because i wasn't there but i think that's that level of organization has really only been in the world tour for you know less than 10 years like cycling for a long time has been kind of a disaster to be honest <laughs> that's very interesting uh, the inside of the sport you know uh just in terms of how things are run and and it's just like old school european mentality the way the the sport is and uh and yeah like like antoine said uh, until until you you're at the world tour on the on the big teams now you're not going to have structure you're not going to have a nutritionist it's not like it's not a professional sport like like we understand in north america where we compare it to hockey or basketball or baseball where there's trainers and you know and nutritionists and strategists and coaches yeah you know, uh, uh, really until you make the world tour there's there's not much you know it's it's all up to you you also have to i don't stupid question but carry your own bike or bring your bike from point a to point b and you know check it in in a plane and take care of everything is that is that it, well, really... that that depends kind of on the team ah. uh there's that's kind of half half so there's some continental teams where you're you're kind of on your own for logistics and wow. some some you know organize it um but yeah so if you're not if you're not like independent and and relatively self-motivated and and you know you know like can handle your business like you you'll never make it as a cyclist because there's there's definitely a point until you're you've really made it where you, you have to be kind of self-sufficient okay that's very interesting so when was your your breakthrough so you said that that year in italia was kind of uh, italy sorry it was uh, was kind of a disaster in a yeah. sense um i think you had a breakthrough on tour de Beauce in 2018 ish yes. uh, you win you win a stage probably the biggest stage in quebec mm -hmm. um so between those four years those between 2014 and 2018 are is it like four years of pure struggle and and trying to survive the world keep the motivation up until you until you have that one result that kind of puts you on the map kind of um that's a good way to put it it was three years of just kind of struggle in in obscurity you know we we have these things um in cycling called power meters and power meters what is that a power meter so it it measures essentially your output on the bike okay. it measures how hard you're pushing on the pedals so essentially you can see progress um in another dimension in another way exclusive of race results you know so so for three three years i saw that i was getting better i saw that i was getting faster Uh, but I kind of had nothing to show for it. I didn't have race results. I would get unlucky or I would miss out with tactics or I would, you know, have mechanical problems with my bike. It was just like three years of just struggle was, is the best way to put it. Um, and no kind of visible results. Um, in 2017, after a year, after the spring um, where I'd been racing in the States, I had a couple of more of these races so i was super strong but i had no results nothing to show for it um and one day i got a call from a manager of a professional team in the states uh whose name is paul he ran a team called elevate and he said uh he called me on my phone obviously i didn't have his number so i just i happened to pick up 
And uh, he said, hey, you know, I've seen you at the races. And, uh, you know, I think you have potential. You know, I've seen I've seen you get unlucky or I've seen what you what you've been doing. And I think, you know, if you if you come and join my team, you know, I can help you and I can uh, and I can help you learn and grow as a cyclist. And, you know, like I can support you and we can we can win some big races together. Did you get like a two thousand dollar a year contract that time? That, that one was a little <laughs> bit better. <laughs> that, that contract I could kind of start to live. Okay. Um, but uh, but more importantly, he says, you know, we're going to do some big races, and uh, you know, like I I believe that you have, you know, the talent and the the drive to get to the world tour to get to the biggest, you know, stages in cycling, and I want to help you get there. You know, uh, so that was really what what kind of convinced me was this guy. You know, finally, someone kind of believed in, and was willing to support me. Um, and then from there, so that was 2017. From there, the ball really started rolling. Okay. Uh, the results started to come. So I, I was putting in the same amount of work, but now I was getting some stuff for you were show from it. Sur you were surrounded. You were put in the right races, probably yeah. for your profile. Right races, right, right situation, right teammates, right management. Everyone who you know was there to support me and. And support each other and just like that was a really positive team environment and that's where i really started to to kind of flourish as a cyclist okay so i i read that you didn't have a coach until or a coach or yeah a coach until like 2020 is that is that yeah you? yeah so i never uh i, ne I was always self-coached so i like i said in all my when i started it was just kind of tinkering you know with equipment and yeah. training and just trying to figure out uh like how i could go faster and It started with the the mechanical equipment side, but it also became the physiology side, where I became interested in how training worked and what you were trying to do to your body, and 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 training philosophy. And I started reading studies and reading training books, and I started to learn kind of the basics of how to how to be an endurance athlete and how to train as one. Um, and I did a lot of experiment experimentation, different types of training, and. Um, essentially un until now really i've i've always been self-coached i've always um tried to keep up to date on on the latest literature and science and i found it interesting so it's 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 nice to read up and, and kind of experiment and see uh interesting what works. Yeah. Uh, are you um is it common for cyclists or pro cyclists not to be coached or you know surrounded by probably not uh i don't know of many guys who are completely self-coached. I think, I think a lot of it is also like the reason a lot of guys use coaches is just for accountability. Right. Yeah. Um, but I was always pretty self-motivated. I, I didn't really need someone to tell me to go and train. You know, yeah. I, I want to do that every day anyway. Um, and like I said, I, the mix of that and, and, and being interested in the science and, and literature m meant that I, I always had what it, kind of took to to be a coach as well as an athlete um but it's it's pretty rare i don't think there's okay. as many who are uh who are self-coached no interesting um and, and let's say between that 2014 and 2017 those three four years that are kind of hard um mm -hmm. what keeps you going and keeps you motivated because in the end you spend i think 30 or 40 hours a week training and when you have races these are like insanely hard for the For the common people from the streets, these are like superhuman type of efforts. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, how do you keep the grit going? You have a passion for cycling, that's a thing, but you know, passion only goes so far. Yeah, exactly. But, and at some point, you just, yeah, what? Yeah, what I, I mean, I, I glossed the over the three years, but it was a, absolutely a, a huge struggle. I mean, 
Uh, there was definitely times in there where I thought about quitting or I thought about the, you know, this is not working or, you know, it's been three years. I have nothing to show for it. You know, um, I guess what kept me going is I, I continued to see progress, even though like, you know, to, to an outsider, you don't see anything, but I, in all the reading and my training, and like I said, all the, all the data we had, I had access to, you know, I was, I was still improving, you know? So even though on the, on the outside, I wasn't going anywhere, I knew that I was still getting better and I kind of just hoped that it would work out somehow. Okay. Um, but it was just literally blind, blind faith and passion that kept me going because okay. it definitely wasn't money. It definitely wasn't yeah. outward success. Yeah, uh, so that's, I mean, that, that for me was obviously the hardest part of my career and, but it's the part that I'm happiest that I made it through because that's it, it that, also made me very resilient um as an athlete and as a person because um it's very difficult to to you know for three years have worked towards something and have zero to show for it you know like i think a lot of people forget like i also had family and friends who were wondering what i was doing with my life you know (laughs) and you know couch surfing in the states you know trying to to be a pro cyclist and i had no like to them i had nothing to show for it you know so that's that's a, a super difficult part, you know, and, and I'm sure most successful athletes have their their version of that yeah. time. You know, yeah. it's I'm sure it's a common thread because, I mean, the the resiliency and the mental fortitude you learn during that period, you're going to need later on in your career. And and I think it's it's really the athletes who have some some period of struggle in their life that end up being the most successful. Yeah, and you probably don't have one successful athlete that didn't go through like a pretty, you know, mm-hmm. harsh period. And that's what builds you in a sense. Mm-hmm. And that's also kind of the reason for this podcast is whoever, whichever the athletes, we, if you just type your name on the internet, you'll see results and stuff. Yeah. But you won't Accolades. see those three years of, you know, absence yeah. of results and your struggle. And that's yeah. for cycling. That's for any other sport. It's what's, yeah, interesting 100%. to kind of dig into. Yeah. Uh, do you think the fact that you started a bit later, I would say, than the average person right now, at, you started taking uh, cycling seriously at 20, but at 20 right now, we have people that win the Tour de France. Yes. Um, you think that the fact that you started later, you were probably more like mature, helped you also in kind of going through three, four years of uh, of struggle more than you know someone at fourteen, fifteen would have. Would so have. absolutely. So I, I'm like people who know just enough about cycling, you know, say, "Oh, don't you wish you would have started earlier?" You know, because because now, I mean, now it's insane, but cyclists are groomed from super young and yeah. they're they're having success really young, but. I I can only speak for myself, but I'm I'm I wouldn't have been the human being that I am today or the athlete if I hadn't kind of forged my own path. You know, like if yeah. I would have been put into a program as a cyclist and uh, a racing program and had coaches and you know just like had everything done for me and I didn't learn all these like life skills like resiliency and self sufficiency, everything I talked about and self sufficiency. Uh, mental toughness, all this stuff that I that I learned on my own because of because of my late start, pretty much. Um, then I wouldn't be the athlete or the person I am today. I think it's quite sad, but a lot of you know cyclists when they end up retiring, as certainly ones who've never done anything but ride, yeah. are pretty pretty lost. You know, yeah. they're pretty stuck. You know, they're they haven't had an opportunity to become a well rounded person. You know, because all they've ever done, everyone's 
only told them for their whole life that this is what matters, that they're in a, they're a cyclist and all that matters is how fast you go and what races you win. And, and then all of a sudden it ends one day and you're like, Oh, what do I do now? Like, what is, what's my identity now? You know, like, like I have nothing to do with my life. And I, and I'm, I'm very grateful that when that time comes for me, I'll, uh, I'm pretty confident that I'll be a balanced human being and I'll, I'll figure my way out, you know, and, yeah. and it won't be so hard so, because of these experiences I had before I was a cyclist. Yeah. So I have so many questions that are non-sport related, just yes. a few more sport related because I love cycling mm -hmm. as well, even though I'm terrible and my time is not in the top 1000 <laughs> <laughs> on the Camino Hood. Um, so you, you, you get to that elevated team in the US. Mm -hmm. Um, you do a few races, uh, more um, higher level. You have a good result at Tour de Beauce. Uh, you get to the, the Vuelta. So the, uh, Tour, Tower, Tour of Spain, mm -hmm. whatever, La Vuelta. Um, was that a goal of yours to get to, uh, World Tour and those type of, uh, multi-stage, um, races or? Yeah. Yeah. yeah of well, course. So that's, it's, the is that the goal for any cyclist? I, th I think so. I think. For me, all, the Grand Tours was always the pinnacle of the sport, you know, so the, the three-week yeah. races. There's the Giro, the Volta, and the Tour de France. And uh, for me, that was always my, what I consider to be the, the pinnacle, you know, yeah. so I, I had always kind of hoped that I would that I would get there and uh, it ended up happening. Nice. So yeah. you went there 2020 and 2021? Uh, no, 2020. Yes. yes, 2020 and oh, 2021, just, okay. I did uh, the Volta. Nice. So how... Yeah, was it uh, as exciting and as fun as you expected, or just much more uh, exhausting than you expected? Uh, I guess kind of both. Yeah, um, it was. Well, the the first Vuelta I did was was like the COVID Vuelta, and so it was kind of different because there weren't yeah there weren't really that many fans allowed, and it was kind of like at the end of the year, and and uh, it was kind of a but it, I mean the race was still the same. It was still a three week race, and I really learned. Uh, learned what it is to, to kind of push for three weeks, which is, I mean, and even, even sitting here, there's no way I could describe what yeah. a, what a, what a grand tour is because it's so beyond kind of any sporting event. So, so for anyone who wouldn't know if we contextualize, it's yes. literally 21, um, stages and you have, you pretty much race seven <laughs> days, one day off, seven days, one day off, seven days. Yes. Kind of. You have two days off on a 23 days. 23 day period right exactly so it's 21 days 21 races in 23 days and each race is like the equivalent of two marathons you know so every day like when you when you zoom out and you quantify the amount of work that you've done in that three weeks it's like it's unfathomable to any it's like any a person. yeah it's 150 to 200 kilometers a day ish yeah um so a total of 2000 kilometers plus yeah. 2500 maybe yeah. and you burn what what 8000 calories a day or something like that something like that and yeah. just just the amount of of stress that your body is under and and mental stress from the fight in the peloton and and just like it's it's funny because no one will ever appreciate it un until you've done it and it's it's honestly a one of the greatest feats in athletics i have i have so much respect for for you know riders who do grand tours and who are successful at them and even if you just complete them because it's so it's so beyond anything that's in any other sport you know nothing there's no sport that you you are at the limit of your of your physical capacity every day for 21 days it's 
that's unheard of and yeah. it's uh it's amazing yeah and, it's it's uh, a it's a big show at the end and it, it works like people watch it mm-hmm. but yeah the people and you have what 180 uh writers usually Something at the beginning like of yeah like 20 teams times nine people yeah. um yeah it's yeah it's amazing i've been uh, especially tour de france uh fan i'm french so naturally yes. um but yeah these are like amazing races the show is great mm-hmm. uh but we don't realize how that it is probably or those three races are amongst you know the Iron Man on this world and stuff like that, and the Iron Mans are just you know one day races much longer, yeah. But just one day, and then you rest for whatever a month. But these, yeah, yeah, these type of events are kind of unheard of in a sense, and uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a crazy achievement. Yeah. yeah. Did you um, and did you finish both those both those uh, races like a better cyclist? You think mentally wise and and physically wise, or are they just training and it's and and for you it's kind of it's done and now I can you know, go back no, to I, one day I, races and stuff. I, I definitely think that it it changed my the first one at least changed kind of the definition of what I could do, you know, and mentally. Yeah. So it, it kind of broke a like a like a paradigm that I had that like I got to a certain point in the race where I, where I you know I was thinking there's no way I can finish this, you know, like it's impossible. Yeah, like I just the way i'm feeling now and the stages that are to go like how am i going to survive you know and and i ended up surviving you know it's just and that taught i i taught myself that you know what you can achieve even when you think you can't you know by just taking one pedal stroke at a time one step at a time and you end up being able to achieve amazing things cool uh what type of rider are you there is the sprinter there's the climber mm-hmm. there's the puncher there's the guy that or cyclist that specializes in, in one day races other than uh, multi multi-stage races what type of uh rider are you i'm uh i guess you could say a, a climber slash gc rider um in the world tour i was always at the service of our gc leaders because they're obviously incredible athletes so you, as well. you, for those two uh two grand tour you were with israel uh startup nation yes yeah okay yeah. so who was the the leader uh in the first vault i did we had dan martin who ended up finishing in i want to say third okay uh so he had he had a really good volta and um in 2021 we didn't really have a designated gc leader but we were trying to just kind of race and see uh see if we can get some results okay okay and why the vuelta and not the other uh, the other two is it team choice like general manager choice team choice yeah and uh I always liked the Vuelta because it's uh, it was the least apparently the least stressful of the three Grand Tours <laughs> in terms of uh, in terms of crowds, in terms of the stress in the peloton, in terms of road choice, um, and you're kind of you're probably the least likely to crash in the Vuelta, even though I'm, I had plenty of crashes. Um, so that, it's it's a good one to kind of uh, start with. Okay, the Vuelta. Okay, so what's the next one for you? Uh, we'll see. Uh, right now, I'm on. I'm not on a team that does uh, grand tours, so we'll see uh, if that changes. But uh, like I said, I would still love to to race them because those are uh, that's for me the the pinnacle of the sport. Okay. So now you are with a, a Chinese team. You mentioned mm-hmm. before we record the name. You said China Glory. Is the name China Glory. Team. Okay. Yes. Is this a recent uh, recent team in the this world year. of cycling? Okay. First year. Yeah. Uh, the the team. It's the second year okay. of the team. Um, I'm on the team for the first year. I joined uh, at the end of 2022, and uh, so far we've had uh, we've had a nice season. We've had some races all all over the world, and I'll be doing my first trip in to China in uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Four, you told me a couple, uh, two uh, stage two races. stage races: Tour of Shanghai Lake and Tour of uh, 
one Chan, which I believe is, okay. is new. So what are the objectives on those ones? Like, are they like stage wins or uh, GC? Uh, so we'll general see. classification? Yeah, I, I mean, I hope GC. We'll see how... Uh, I was telling you before that Tour of Shanghai Lake is is kind of famous because it's the highest race of the year in okay. anywhere in the world. So we race essentially on the Tibetan Plateau. So like a normal a normal Pyrenee or Alp climb will finish at kind of 2000 meters that's kind of and that's where the whole race is uh is taking place the whole race takes place pretty much above two to three and wow. even goes up to four jeez uh so that's it's really like unheard of um in mm. european cycling because obviously there's there's no yep. roads that go that high and uh it's unknown for me because i've never i've never ridden at four thousand meters i don't i don't know what it's gonna be like okay so do you think some um there are a few climbers uh, especially from th- south america that train quite high in altitude also to prepare for grand tour but also do you think those guys are kind of ahead of the curve when it comes uh, probably to, um... yeah so so they they'll especially colombians uh because there's obviously a lot of high yeah. roads in colombia will have a will have an advantage um but hopefully we'll uh We'll we'll be able to go there early, and I'll and I'll try and acclimate and uh, see what I can do. Because cool. now you you live in Andorra, so it's also yes. uh, in altitude. Is, yeah. is was that the reason? Because you planned for a few of those uh, those races, or did you just move to Andorra because tomorrow? There are a couple of good reasons. So yeah, I live at eighteen hundred meters. Um, so it's obviously not as high as in Colombia or the races we're doing, but it's a nice base uh, mm-hmm. to have some altitude training. Andorra is also a really nice country for for riding for training. There's huge climbs. You can go up to 2,400 meters. Um, there's two hour long climbs. It's really really perfect for riding. Uh, there's also there's a hundred cyclists actually in Andorra. That was my pros. question. Like, do you have like partners from your team or other Canadian yeah. uh, cyclists yeah. or or yeah? There's tons. Yeah. There's uh, there's riders from every team. Uh, a lot of nationalities because Andorra offers a um a residency essentially for professional athletes okay um because on a on a government level professional cycling is kind of a it's a gray area uh, because let's say take me this year i'm a canadian citizen yeah um i have a, i'm employed by a chinese company yeah but i technically work in europe in canada in america and China, I work yeah, all over the world. Like contracts for races, yeah. kind of. Okay. So it's so to uh, to a lot of governments, they kind of don't know what to do with professional cyclists because it's just it's all over the place. Yeah. Um. So Andorra is is a, a super bike friendly country, and they kind of they literally wrote a set of rules for high performers, high high performance athletes, uh, cyclists, and they said, you know, we'll recognize what you're doing as long as you're not employed in Andorra, which obviously all the big professional teams are in other places, um, and they offer residencies. And so that um, saves us the burden of having to apply for visas and having to figure out in different uh, you know, countries and, mm-hmm. and, and running out our six months and, you know, just, just makes life a whole lot simpler and easier to, uh, especially if you're racing a lot in Europe, which, which most cool. of cycling is, uh, is there. Nice. And how, what does your, uh, your schedule look like? How many races do you go to, let's say per year or in 2023? And what does a typical off, uh, races week look like? You know, how, how many hours do you train and you know, climb those, uh, those crazy climbs? Yeah, so we probably do, I don't know, between 50 and 80 race days a year, uh, most riders. 
Um, that's a mix of one day races, stage races all over. Um, and then like a, a normal training week is still, you, I, I still ride pretty much every day. Um, it obviously depends what races I have coming up, but if I'm just training for a week, I'll ride between 20 and 30 hours. I'll have some intervals, some, some kind of planned training and some kind of non-planned training, uh, you know, a day or two a week where I'm just kind of enjoying cycling and just go for an adventure or something. And, uh, and yeah, but I'm on my bike pretty much every day. And, uh, yeah. So are, today, are you kind of surrounded by a coach or anything, or do you build your own training schedule and just plan it the way you feel like? Yeah. So, so every professional team has coaches on it. Um, but essentially my relationship has always been, um, you know, I'll, I'll do my own training. Um, if you have some input, if you have something you think I should change, or if you have any ideas, you know, let's let me know. I'll, we'll try, we'll, we'll discuss, you know, but I, I was never the type of person to have a, to want a plan every day, you know, okay. to say today you're going to ride this many hours or do this kind of training. Okay. I always, I'm flexible with the weather, with how I'm feeling, with, with upcoming goals, with kind of where I need to, places I need to work on. I, I always had a kind of more flexible approach to, to training. And, okay. uh, and I, and I think, I mean, we have programs that save our training from years, you know? And so I think any coach who goes to look at, you know, what I've done will, will, you know, kind of figure out that I'm self-motivated and I, and I do kind of one of the styles of training that's pretty well backed by science. And, okay. and I don't normally do too many insane things. Okay. Uh, so, So there's, there's, I guess there's that kind of level of trust when you, uh, when you see the, the kind of training I've done. Interesting. Um, so last or last two questions, um, um, related to purely the sports. Uh, yeah. one is, uh, are you targeting or it, it, are the, um, uh, 2024 Olympics in Paris a goal of yours or not? And the second is what will be success for you in the next two years on the bike at least? So the olympics are funny because we don't know even today we don't know what the course is like okay. um so olympics honestly for cyclists like a lot of people outside of cycling obviously understand yep. the olympics and it's like a big you know goal. The pinnacle for them it's is, the pinnacle yep. for a lot of people um but i would choose a lot of races to go to before i would choose the olympics okay um obviously I would, i'm it would be a great life experience i would love to see what it's like in the village and everything and, and be at the race but like i said just just in terms of a a race uh i don't it's like it's it's nothing super special to me um so would i like to go sure but i it's not something i'm targeting okay and it's not like i said we don't even know what the race is like uh but yeah it would be cool to go sweet um and so yeah next uh, next two years what uh what would you consider to be a success what would i consider to be a success um In the next two years, I don't know. I would like to to start getting some results for myself again. It's been it's been a while that I've been at the service of uh, of others, and and uh, but I'd like to to kind of reconnect with with racing to win, and um, and just continue to to enjoy. I think success, honestly, if if I continue to enjoy myself and to be and to wake up every morning excited about what I'm doing. And that's success to me. You nice. know, it's, it's the the day that this becomes really a, a job where I have to you know, have to go to work every day. I think that'll be uh, that'll be it. <laughs> that'll okay. be the sign that uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's done. Else. Okay. Yeah. Um, cool. So less about sports and performance. Mm -hmm. um, I read that you climbed 
20 May 2020 uh, 100 times the Camino yes. uh, <laughs> climb so yeah it was for a fundraiser i think uh, yes. so yeah, what what uh, drove that uh, crazy uh, that crazy was challenge? Uh, that was during covid obviously when uh flat, i'm going to put everyone back in time a little bit that was the time where we were everyone was concerned about uh masks and like a and month PPE. and a half after everything went south yeah so that's all the toilet paper had gone the masks had yeah. gone oh that was what a time um and uh we weren't racing so i had kind of nothing to do and i felt pretty pretty kind of useless to society i guess uh you know just kind of riding my bike with no purpose no races nothing uh so i thought like if there's any way i can i can help or i can raise some money or do something do something with my time and like what am i supposed to do as a cyclist you know like how can i help and uh a buddy of mine who's a who's also a cyclist his friend uh has a kind of medical supply company and he said well if if you want to do some kind of fundraiser like i can i'm sure i can find a deal on masks you know i can try and import them for somewhere we can get some some sanitizer or some you know and you can donate it to hospitals who who are in need Mm -hmm. and um said okay that would be a great idea um my wife is a nurse and um and the original idea was to do a shift one shift as a nurse which is 12 hours okay um and then I ended up thinking that okay, I mean, just but like I ended up doing the math, and it was like I can't yeah, time what to it was, do the math, <laughs> but it was like eighty whatever. And I said, may as well just make it a hundred at that point. <laughs> you know? So the the whole I guess the whole premise of it was I'm gonna I'm gonna do just one day, like you know all the all the medical professionals who are keeping our society moving right now, um, just one day and and uh and raise some money and that's what i did that's uh cool that's an amazing yeah. challenge yeah. was it harder than uh tour de france race because at the end it's what how much what is the denivelé oh the... in in terms of well it ended up taking me 15 hours though oh i can't even remember i i started in the dark and finished in the dark okay so however long that was um but obviously in, in just in terms of numbers it was way more than than any like race yeah. uh because it was like i said it was 12 it was 13 or 14 hours of riding time it was i mean it's a hundred i can do the math now because it's a hundred it's 120 meters per climb times 100 so it's 12,000 12, meters yeah. of elevation it's one point it's 320k um but yeah i could, could kind of like i wasn't racing anyone either so i could i could i just wanted to pace myself and and do the the hundred climbs it wasn't it wasn't a race so I parked my car on on the climb and I filled it f- full of food and I took a couple breaks. It was obviously still like a really long day, but but to do something um, other because you know training and cycling can be pre- pretty selfish, honestly. Yeah. And and sometimes you're wondering like, what am I doing with my time and energy? You know, I'm just here like only caring about myself. Um, and so I, the one memory that does stick with me that day was how much I valued doing something other than doing something for someone other than me, yeah. you know, even though that's kind of hypocritical because I was still training, I was still riding or yeah. whatever. But, you know, there was there was a, a purpose that was more than just racing and, and performance or whatever. And that was that was kind of nice. Yeah, that's yeah. Insp- that's inspiring. So yeah. for the record, I my best is like five or six in a row. And I was like just okay. over. <laughs> so <laughs> I can only start to imagine what it's like. And it, it's for a good cause. So that was, mm-hmm. that was uh, yeah, really cool. Yeah. Um, 
so you mentioned also that you like building stuff that it's kind of what brought you in in, in pro cycling mm-hmm. um i saw a post a few days ago that you have kind of or you made i don't know the first uh 100% um, 3D printed shoes for for mm-hmm. cycling. I think you built like handlebars and stuff like that for your own use. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's the mechanical mechanical engineer uh, side of you. Uh, yep. Yeah, can you tell a bit more about that? Yeah. So so yeah. So I I absolutely don't want to take credit for the 3D printed shoes. I'm working with a company who okay. who um, who are engineering a, a new type of shoe, which is uh, which is made from a scan of your foot with a, a phone application. Uh, so you scan your foot, you send them the scans, and they can print a 3D, uh, print a shoe in carbon fiber for you in 3D printed. It's the first carbon fiber 3D printer in the world. Um, and you can get a fully custom pair of shoes. Uh, it's, it's honestly really exciting technology. And I think it's only the, the beginning of the application of it. Uh, there's so many. It's it's going to be really exciting in the future to see what they can do with that technology, even even outside of cycling. It's okay. going to be a game changer. Sweet. Do you have gain on weight, of course? But do you have like on aero, dynamism, and so other stuff? So there's or? all kinds of uh, design that, that's gone into the shoe that's kind of groundbreaking. Okay. Um, because of the way it's made, it's fully rigid. So your foot is supported in a very different way. And we've actually seen like efficiency gains in the pedal stroke because you're engaging different muscles and you're supporting the foot in a way that it doesn't need to work on its own. Um, so like I said, like this is just the tip of the iceberg. The stuff that's coming down the line is with Lore, the name of the company is Lore, is uh, is incredible. What's the name again? Lore. Lore okay. is the Where are they name. from? They're, they're actually from the States. Okay. Um, and I'm uh, I'm going to be working with them to to kind of refine their shoes and to uh, I I did none of the coding engineering I'm not I don't know anything about coding uh, so far I've only kind of consulted um, but it's been my dream obviously if if you've you've done your research um, and you've seen all the kind of stuff that I've made for myself and that that the engineering part of me obviously is still there it never it never went away and um, like you said I've made almost every bike part i've never made a frame but i've made you know handlebars and saddles and shoes and and all kinds of stuff uh, just for fun sweet so just for fun so you have like equipment and all that because you don't just you know improvise uh building stuff in carbon and all that so yeah what's your um did you have like your own garage here in, in montreal i i used to do it in my parents garage um people think that there's this there's this interesting kind of reputation that carbon fiber has is this like space technology material um but it's actually there's a way to do it that's kind of very arts and crafts and that's that's always the way i did it so it's it's literally just a fabric that you can buy which is like it's soft so it's like a t-shirt you know material and you have a two-part resin that you mix and then you that creates the 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 resin for the carbon fiber so then when you when you wet the fabric with the resin then you get a carbon fiber part and what resin do you use i use just room temperature cure resin just like so you don't even need like an an oven like you see i'm sure anyone who's interested has watched you know shows and they have frames and ovens and so that's kind of the more advanced the more advanced carbon fiber but you can anyone can literally it takes very little skill to make something out of carbon fiber like if you if you literally, if you've done arts and crafts as a kid, you can probably make something out of carbon fiber. <laughs> uh, a lot of people don't know that, but it's just, uh, and and that's satisfied. Like I said, my hands-on 
approach to engineering. Like I, I never put anything in a in a program. I never validated anything with with CAD or with. Uh, I had no software. I just literally no it's just, yeah, no. Uh, it's like AutoCAD and all that. It's just, just honestly like manual. like sculpting. Like it's half. It's really halfway between art and science. Okay. Um, <laughs> And that's how I made all my all my parts. So so I I read that you also made like parts for your car, chopsticks, yes. coffee mugs and stuff. <laughs> also, part for your cars, like it's is it just like for reflectors and stuff, or is it? No, is I it didn't make anything. Let, let's put it this way: I didn't make anything that would make my car dangerous or out of SAQ rules and stuff. I, okay. I know I know my limits, and uh, I'll make I'll make right. stuff that's that's uh, that's visual or that you know I know won't won't fail. Uh, but obviously with, like I said, arts and crafts, I would never, I would never trust myself to make something that was actually important for my career. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So you were talking about like after career and you, you are kind of comfortable that you'll be all set and that you'll find your way once your Mm -hmm. cycling is over. Is this one of the things that you think you'll explore, whether it's for, you know, bike parts and stuff or just completely different kind of your arts and crafts? Absolutely. Like, uh, like I said, I'm still passionate about engineering, and I'm still I still love to make stuff. Um, and what that what that'll look like in the future, I don't know exactly, but I think that would that would be a really fulfilling job if I could make something, if I could help make something. Because um, yeah, there were a few um, Canadian or, or Quebec um, cy- uh, athletes or, or cycling athletes, cyclists. What the word? Cyclists. 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 Yeah. <laughs> cyclists. Uh, that that changed like uh, Gervais there's mm-hmm. Argon 18 lots of yep. stuff um, is that kind of would you start your own stuff do you think at some point or would you uh, join one of, one I, of these you know, local and, and very high level companies um, either or I think like I said I, I, I'm obviously I'll be passionate about cycling for my whole life um, but I don't think I'll work in the professional sport when I'm done you know I don't think I'll I'll be a part of a, t- a cycling team or anything mm-hmm. but I would absolutely be part of a company making bikes or or a company making shoes or a company that's involved in in just like the the material side of cycling that I kind of fell in love with. All right. So if you have the technical uh, knowledge, I have just enough. I have, I have a, a material engineering degree, actually. Okay. Like, um, so you, you, a so I, I never got my degree. So you're actually more qualified no, than No, because I'm more like the book smart type okay. of guy. So I knew the, all the Katia the and all the differential <laughs> okay. stuff. Uh, yeah, hit me up whenever you started because I'm always okay. looking for a new... Uh, I have my own business right now, uh, nice. electrical rentals. Uh, but mm. still, there will be much more stuff. And if there's mm. if there can be anything related, related you know, uh, in a way to sport uh, like will, be, uh, yeah. will be a lot of fun awesome. I'm not the one that will be building probably but the yeah. business side will be uh, will be covered hopefully nice. um, cool so if you had the opportunity to talk to the I would say the 10 year old or 14 year old uh, James that was climbing the Mont Royal and you had one piece of advice you could give uh, what would it be oh that's a good question um, I would say Follow your heart. I know that's like kind of cheesy and uh, no, 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 it's yeah. fine because um, because I think I think if you're passionate about something, you find a, you find a way to make it work. You know, if I can't remember if we said this before or during the podcast, but we were, you were talking about passion and really being the driver of athletes, and and you know, there's this perception that you know athletes are are super competitive and super driven and and want to earn lots of money or want fame or success or whatever that is but i i genuinely think the only athletes who end up being actually successful are the ones who are 
driven from within who and and at at the core of their identity they're just kids who love sports who just want to play their best you know mm-hmm. and, and who are still having fun um so that's what i would tell in not as many words that's what i would tell myself that, that, <laughs> okay because you would that, have lost the 10 year old kid yes, but still yeah you would i would have lost him but <laughs> but you know i always think of the example of hockey you know and and there's this kind of unfortunate situation for a lot of young canadians who are kind of pushed by their parents or pushed by coaches yeah. to like be be hockey players with because everyone obviously thinks that their their son or daughter is going to be the next famous athlete and and like athletes are built up on this pedestal as like the highest performers in society um but in reality w- what i do or what any athlete does is useless to society it doesn't matter you know it's just it's competition it's not it's for tv it's not you know like no one's saving lives no one we're not doing anything of value um and i think it's very dangerous to tell young kids that their value is in you know if they can beat another team or if they can be good at sports you know because sports should be about passion and enjoyment and you know the people who are actually making a difference in society teachers doctors you know those are the people who actually matter it's really unfortunate that that people idolize athletes honestly because there's there's lots of other more important people than athletes yeah well th- there are but at the end of the day also sport is kind of you know something that gather people and mm-hmm. whether it's soccer here hockey that's what you know bring people together in crowds mm-hmm. and going to bars and enjoying step things that you know gathers them around one single same objective which is beating the other mm-hmm. team or or get winning a stage so mm-hmm. yeah it's not life-saving like you said yeah. but it's still important to you know cohesion and and you know yeah. happiness of people some people yeah. will will kill themselves without sport to watch and, <laughs> and comment and yeah. uh yeah so uh very interesting mm. um if there was one <clears throat> one or more uh canadian athletes uh that you know of i uh, think would be a, a good guest uh, on the podcast who would that be cyclist or not cyclist a good guest i there's only there's only there's you know, You might not like my answer. There's only one real Canadian athlete that I really look up to, and it's Terry Fox. Um, okay. I don't know if you know who Terry Fox nope. is. So uh, Terry Fox, I'm going to look him up. Look now. him up. Uh, so every pretty much everyone as a kid now uh, does what's called the Terry Fox run. So t- Terry Fox was a, as far as I know, a normal guy um, in I want to say the 70s or 80s, and he. Um, got diagnosed with cancer and he had a leg amputated and his whole story was that he wanted to run across Canada to raise money for cancer um, with one leg. Yeah. Um, so he, he started that journey and, and now every kid uh, in high school in Canada does the Terry Fox run in September in honor of Terry Fox who ended up passing away. Um, And he was everything that I believe that an athlete should be using, using their platform to actually make a, a positive change in the world. Um, obviously, he can't be a guest on your podcast. He died a long time ago. Yeah, 1981. Yeah. Uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> but um, well, yeah. that I didn't know the name uh, nor the the race because I'm only came here a few years ago now yeah. um so it's not in my culture but yeah i'm, yes. I'm, I'm really sure this if, very, if you talk very... to any any kid who grew up Most in, likely, in yeah. they'll they'll know the name terry fox and they'll know they 
were probably forced to run around around their school and in September as as a kid. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I would pick uh, to have. As Interesting. A well, yeah. I'm uh, a few dozen <laughs> years yeah, too late. <laughs> 40, Forty years too late. Sorry about that. He would have. Oh, but that's a good answer. Yeah. Um, so I'm building a. I call it a wall of fame. Now I call it a museum of sports, Canadian museum of, of sports at my place. Uh, is there any gear from your career? Uh, a 3d printed shoe that was, uh, wasn't working or <laughs> I have did, whatever. Is there anything that you might uh, add into the museum? Oh man. So cyclists accumulate so much stuff. <laughs> Just like, I don't know if every athlete has as, as many things, uh, but I have just, junk everywhere so you can have whatever right. you want you want a jersey you want bibs you want old pair of shoes you want an old helmet i have it all uh, cool uh, so anything if you're you told me you're in the, in the southwest of the city so my office is on nuns island so i'll be i'll okay. be around uh i'll just knock on the I door drop and... <laughs> you off whatever i'd be more than happy to get rid of some stuff wonderful are yeah. they here in montreal all right yeah. so i'll uh i'll uh yeah take them yeah. away before they end up in the trash yeah. awesome uh cool that's uh are you active on social media do you like people for you you said you know you you hope every athlete will kind of try to make a change so where mm-hmm. should people uh follow you to uh to see what you're up to you can follow me if you want on instagram i have an instagram uh i think it's just james Spicoli. i don't post very often because okay. uh but if you want to follow me there you can yeah. also see what i do for rides on strava that's kind of also more interesting if you're a cyclist you can see you how, record everything uh pretty much i try and ride uh a couple of days a week or every so often just with no data just so i can just kind of reconnect with yeah. with just enjoying right. cycling yeah. and not having to worry about whatever watts or speed or distance um but most of my stuff goes on there and then you can see you know what how a pro cyclist trains all right so everybody that. listening just try to beat the best time on on uh, <laughs> Camino Wood so that he comes back and beats it again. Yes. Good <laughs> awesome. luck. Good luck, and I'm not being that. I went so hard that I'm not doing it again. So if you you beat my time, enjoy. <laughs> okay. Okay. Perfect. So comments on the podcast or whatever if you beat the record because yes. it's uh, it's still it seems to be standing for. Uh, it's it's yeah, pretty for fast. Uh, yeah, it's pretty fast. <laughs> awesome. Did you uh, on that specific that moment you beat the, you bet beat the record um did you go there to have like the best time ever on Kenya yes. was it okay and i also picked like the right day and like i said i'm an engineer so i broke down the problem into like pressure humidity like, literally everything so that's why i said good luck beating my time because unless <laughs> okay. you get the perfect set of circumstances it's not gonna happen <laughs> sweet <Yeah>. very cool <laughs> thank you so much james that was uh was amazing uh, i hope uh, i'll see you on tv hopefully or at least uh, on the a bit of the no no, no. You'll, yeah that will be like a car just passing me <laughs> at crazy speed So thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. If you're still here, it's probably because you liked the episode, right? So if you want the podcast to grow and get more exceptional athletes, you can play your part by following us on your favorite podcast platform and on Instagram at unfiltered.athletes. It really helps us. And until next time, enjoy life.